Hey, everybody, how you doing? Everybody good? Okay, so it's baseball season like the postseason, right? The American League, uh, National League Championship Series are going on. I don't watch a ton of baseball, just not one of those sports I, I love. But at this time of year, I'm kind of getting into it a little bit. We're watching it some. But do you know, if you've never watched baseball, how difficult baseball can be if you don't know the rules? I mean, the rules are just, there's a lot of baseball rules. Tons of baseball rules. So, I was reading an article the other day about a guy who was talking about Little League players not knowing the rules, but their parents often know the rules, and the kids get really discouraged because they don't know them. So, he talks about how one parent explained baseball to his son. This is what he said. There are always new players who do not know or understand the rules. So this is what he said. You have two sides, uh, one out in the field and one in. When three men are out, the side that's out comes in, and the side that's in goes out and tries to get those who are coming in out. Um, If you don't hit the ball, you're out, unless you get four bad pitches before you get three good pitches. Um, And you need to run really fast if you hit the ball, unless you hit the ball on the wrong side of the white line, because that's the rule. Or unless they catch it, but they have to catch it before it hits the ground. You can run past first base and home plate, but not second base and third base. And if you've got the ball, you need to step on the base to get somebody out unless you have to tag them. How how simple, I mean, can it be, right? It's pretty simple. Uh, The other day, the ball got past, it was the third strike. I've watched enough baseball to know this. Third strike, the ball got past the catcher. The guy runs. My wife looks at me and said, but he struck out. He swung. It's like... Yes, you're only out, though, if the catcher catches the ball, or if the catcher drops the ball, he has to throw it to first to get you out. Then you're not out. There's a lot of rules to baseball. Now, I had a couple of kids in T-ball. T-ball. Anybody anybody experience T-ball? Satan's attempt to uh, frustrate every competitive parent ever. Uh, T-ball. Because this is what you have with T-ball you got people like me who want to win. By the way, keep score. I mean, keep score. Life, there's you winners and losers in life. Keep score. Okay, so T-ball. My first two girls played. I didn't even, didn't even try. I, I just said I'm not ever doing this again. But you'd have a kid who'd hit the ball and run up the third baseline. And their parents would think it's cute. Now, listen. It's not cute. That's just stupid. Uh, you got to help your kid know to run up the first baseline. So there's frustration with rules. And today we're talking about rules. We're in the middle of this series. Are you a follower or are you a fan of Jesus? And lots of times with Christianity, there are rules. Now, there's, sometimes they're unwritten rules. Sometimes it's kind of written rules. But I grew up in a church with a lot of rules. Maybe you grew up in a church with a lot of rules too. Here are some of the rules at my church growing up. Um, Don't talk during the service because your mom who's in the choir, remember choir? Choir loft, mama in the choir loft. Your mother who's in the choir loft, it's like, you know why people sing in the choir? To watch their kids. That's why they're up there. So they can keep an eye on you as a kid. So I'm a teenager The rule was don't talk, don't pass notes, for goodness sake, don't laugh. Because mama is in the choir loft, and this is the look you do not want from the choir loft. When she gave you the stink eye, you knew you're in trouble. That was one of the rules. 
another kind of unwritten rule that, that the people that really love Jesus show up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If, you know, sort of mediocre kind of playing Christian Christians show up Sunday morning. But, you know, the rest of us who really love Jesus. Um, there was a rule that uh, revivals had to last 1,200 days. I, I, they had to go for 12 years. I mean, it was just like, okay, that's, that was kind of the rule. And all those rules, we had these rules. And the problem with rules a lot of times is you get focused on the rules rather than the relationship. Today we're going to be in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be. John chapter 8. Because there's this story about a rule breaker. And there's this story about rules keepers. And usually when rule breakers and rule keepers get together, that's not a good scene. So we're in John chapter 8. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. It's this location. And at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He's this teacher and people love to listen to him because he taught more about relationship with God than rules. Now, let's hit a timeout just for a second. I'm going I'm to make this point twice today, but I want to make it here. It's not as if Jesus didn't know the rules and it's not as if Jesus didn't care about the rules. He did care about the rules. He... he he was the author of the rules. Understand, relationship is more important than rules. You don't put the rules first, you put the relationship first. Okay, so, people gathered around him and they sat down. He sat down to teach them. That was the position of a rabbi. He would sit to teach. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you could put in there the guys who really liked rules, they brought a woman caught in adultery. Now, one of the rules, and it's like in the Big Ten, like the top ten, the Ten Commandments, there's a rule about adultery. And there's a thou shalt not right in front of it. So this is not just, it's not like a minor rule. This is a big rule. This is a great big old rule. And this woman, these, these uber rule keepers caught a woman who is an uber rule breaker and they bring her to Jesus. And they made her stand before the group. Now, j just for a second, put yourself in the place of this woman. All right? It, it, is, it is bad to sin. When you sin, it's a bad thing. It's bad. And you, you often feel guilt about it. To be humiliated after that is, it make, I don't know if it makes it worse. It, it's just, I just feel for her. I kind of feel for this woman because... I'm thinking, okay, they caught her in the act of adultery. She's probably not completely clothed. She probably grabs something, but here she stands in some state of undress in front of a bunch of men who aren't ogling her. They are condemning her. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law of Moses, the Big Ten. It commands us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, they, they point out the rule. <laughs> hey, 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 the rule says, the rule is that if she's caught in adultery, according to Moses, if she's caught in adultery, then our responsibility as a community is to stone her to death. And here's the thing about God's word. It provides us with guidance 
and commandments. It kind of does both. Gives us an idea about how we're supposed to live. And as a parent, we make rules. I, I have kids. I, my wife and I, we've made rules for our kids, not because we don't love them, but because we do love them. My dad used to say things to me that I would think, that is so ridiculous. That is such a ridiculous rule. Curfew. Curfew. Good grief, Dad. I'm 16. You know, I'm 17. I, I, I can handle myself on the mean streets of Danville, Kentucky, where we got three traffic lights. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bad mamma jamma. I can make it out there. Daddy would say stuff like, your curfew is 11 o'clock. And then he, he, then he rationalized it. Because nothing ever good happens after 11 o'clock. Everybody ever heard that? Or this is the one that got me. If you're out past 11 and something bad happens, you're a suspect. He said, guess what? Anything that's bad that happens after 11, I'm never a suspect. Because I'm home. That was, his, that was his logic. And he made this rule and it was... It was confining to me. Now, I understand it. Now that I'm a dad, and I know a little bit more about the world, and I've seen bad things happen after 11 o'clock, and I know why he had the rule. But at the time of giving the rule, it didn't really make all that much sense to me. Here's what God knows about us, his children. A couple of verses. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. There is a tendency in our lives to stray. We, we, we're just good at it. We have a natural propensity to stray. And then this other one is one of my favorite verses. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That verse basically says you can talk yourself into just about anything. We rationalize stuff all the time. Well, I'm going to eat that seventh piece of cake because I really did good uh, for three hours today on my diet. I mean, we rationalize stuff. And it's Boston cream. I mean, have you had that? Woo! That is from Jesus. Anyway, uh, so you rationalize stuff. We, we are great at it. We are great at straying, and we are great at rationalization of sin. We can do it all day long. And you hear... Guys say, well, I left my wife because we, we didn't have the right relationship. Uh, she wasn't meeting my needs. or st- You know, stuff like that. It, it, we rationalize sin. We do it all the time. We're great at it. We are great at straying. We're great at rationalizing sin. We're really, really, we're top shelf good at this. And so God gives us rules to help us with this. Now, Here's the problem when we overemphasize rules as a church. People begin to think, well, they all have it together and I'm struggling, so therefore I can't share my struggles because they wouldn't understand my struggles because they obviously don't struggle. Understand something. Everybody struggles. Everybody struggles. Preacher struggles, elders struggle, your small group leaders struggle, life group leaders struggle. We struggle. Your staff struggles. We all struggle. We, we need to be open enough with one another to say, hey, I'm struggling. I, I mean, the Bible tells us in, in James that we're to confess our sins to one another so that we might be healed, so that we might feel supported, so that we can know that we're not walking this path all by ourselves. 
There's, real, there's real, something about community that helps us. If I have a problem, here's something. My mother, my, my dad died when my mom was, I can't remember, not, not real old. He was um, 65, 66, something like that. So she was about that age. And she has lived a, a long time as a widow. Now, when she first became a widow, she was the only one in her group of friends. And it was a struggle because her friends would invite her to do stuff and the husband and wife would invite her to come to do this or that. And, and you know how that could make you feel. You can certainly understand that you might feel like a you know, fifth wheel or whatever. And so she would go, but it was uncomfortable. And for about a year, she didn't understand her purpose. Because you know, her purpose had always been to help my dad. To, to be a help meet for my father. And then when my dad dies, now all of a sudden she didn't have that particular piece in her life, and she struggled with what to do. But then, a year, 18 months later, in her group of friends, another one of the husbands died. And that woman needed comforting. And she needed somebody to know what it was like to go through this. And my mother had already walked that path. And so she was able to come alongside her and give her advice and those sorts of things. God allows us to go through things so we can help other people go through things. It's part of what community looks like in a, a faith family. So um, if we overemphasize the rules, a lot of times people don't think that they can come to us. We don't want you to think that. We all struggle. So just so you know, let's just get it out there. Everybody struggles. But let's talk about the whole issue of rules. Well, number one, they're cumbersome. They're, they're, they're heavy. I went to a Christian college right out of high school. I went to you know, public school, went to a Christian college in high school. They had lots of rules. Lots and lots of rules. Now, in our community here in Greenville, we know a school like that named Bob Jones. Now, here's the thing about the school I went to. It wasn't Bob Jones. Our school had a lot of rules, but here's, this was our slogan. We have a lot of rules, but at least we're not Bob Jones. That, that was our, uh, that's how we felt good about ourselves. Well, at least we're not Bob Jones. Now, now under, understand something. I, families and schools, they have a right to set rules. They, they just do. Nothing wrong with rules. At my school, some of the rules. Um, if you were a guy, you had to have your hair uh, off of your ears and off of your collar. That was a rule. You had to wear a shirt and tie to class. That was a rule. No blue jeans except on Saturday. That was a rule. Church attendance, chapel attendance was mandatory. That was a rule. You couldn't date when you were a freshman or a sophomore. That was a rule. Freshmen couldn't have cars on campus. Also a rule. There were just lots of rules. Now, again... I don't have any problem with rules. And I signed up to go there knowing there were rules. So nobody, I didn't get there and all of a sudden they said, hey, oh, by the way, we have nine billion rules you have to follow. I knew them going in. I mean, you had to sign a little piece of paper. I've read the rules and I understand them. So I, I knew what I was getting myself into. But here's what I saw with some of my peers in college. They, they began to think the rules made you a Christian. That, that if I follow the rules, then I'm a, a, a Christ follower. That's the problem with rules. Especially these arbitrary Christian rules. I follow them, then therefore I am a Christian. Well, that's not necessarily true. And what I saw a lot was 
people got so frustrated because there were so many rules that when they got out of college, they sort of just left the faith because they felt like they couldn't obey all the rules. And it was a struggle for them, and it can be cumbersome. And the problem is, it's so weighty, some people can't do it. So let's go back to our story. Jesus, they said, hey, the rule is, let's remind you, the rule is she should be stoned. And Jesus, in response, bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, there's this big raging debate about what that was. What did he write in the dust with his finger? And nobody knows, so this is all speculative, but some people believe he wrote like the names of the mistresses of some of the guys standing there. That would be pretty convicting. And if he did that, i got to say, that's sweet. Um, he he might have written, uh, written the commandments out. And maybe pointing out that, hey, this one you break. You know, maybe he pointed at people and pointed at the rule. Hey, you know, this one you're not very good at. Uh, some people believe that um, he just maybe doodled and gave them a chance to think about what they were saying. There's really not, there's no definitive answer as to what he wrote, but he wrote in the dirt. I do think this. At the least, it was an opportunity for them to think. Sometimes, I don't know about you, when I'm confronted with something, I need a little time to take a step back and, and gather my thoughts. And maybe, you know, there's a rush to judgment here, and we want to, I mean, when they stoned this person, they were going to stone her to death. She was about to be stoned to death. There's a lot of ways to die. Getting hit with a bunch of rocks till you're dead isn't a, one of my top two or three. I mean, think about being hit with a bunch of rocks until you are dead. This was what was facing this woman. Her, her breaking of the rule was going to lead to an incredible harsh punishment. I think if you're going to do that, you might want to stop for a second and gather yourself. So Jesus writes in the dirt with his finger. By the way, St. Augustine, this great theologian, said that to him it appeared like Jesus was claiming sort of moral authority here by writing in the, with his finger in the dirt. And he, he points back to, this is just sort of interesting to me, he points back to that when the Ten Commandments were given. The Bible tells us that God wrote these on, st on stone with his finger. And maybe Jesus was sort of hearkening back to, maybe trying to get them to hearken back to this event. The, the original giver of the original law was God and his finger. Anyway, interesting. When they had kept on questioning him, now he tried to slow it down. Let's slow it down. But they, they just kind of kept questioning him. He straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the grounds. Now, these religious leaders, they're, they're pressing him and, and, and they're, they're saying, this is the rule, it's the rule, dude, it's the rule. You got, I, they were looking for him to say, well, it's the rule. I mean, she's a child of God and all, but rule's a rule. You know, rule's a rule. Well, Jesus doesn't say, hey, a rule's a rule. 
At this, when Jesus says, whoever's without sin, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Here, <laughs> the older I get, the more this makes sense, by the way, this verse. You know, when you're young, man, you can have... You, a lot of times when I was younger, I'm not going to lay this on you. When I was younger, I had strong opinions that were uninformed. That's a dangerous combination, by the way. To have strong opinions that are uninformed, it's a bad, bad thing. Well, sometimes when you had a little age, when you have a little time to season, you have this opportunity to think things through a little bit. These guys, they had stones in their hands. I mean, they were about to kill this woman. And they dropped the stones, the older ones, because I think the older ones realized, well, you know what, I'm a sinner too. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And so look at the next verse. So Jesus straightened up. He got off of his knees or maybe he was just stooping down writing. And he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, her answer to the question is, and I'll show it in just a second, no one but there was one who could still condemn her. He was standing there because he is without sin. If, if there was ever a person who was at, without sin who could cast the first stone, it would be Jesus. There was one person there who qualified to be a stone caster. He just chose not to. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, declares Jesus. Go now and leave your life of sin. Rules can be incredibly cumbersome. The second thing is, rules don't inspire grace. I went to seminary at Southwestern in uh, Fort Worth, Texas uh, to work on my master's degree. And when I was there, I had a, um, a history class, a church history class, I believe it was. Our teacher's name was Sandra Bullock, Dr. Sandra Bullock. She was a great teacher. I loved her. It came final exam time. You all know what final exams are. That's when everything that you've heard in lecture and everything that you've read for 13 weeks is going to be on a test. Um, I know I have a little glimpse of what hell is like. It's every final exam. I mean, they're, they're horrible because you're trying to remember everything, all the stuff. And if you, that's just this amazing amount of information that you're supposed to be able to regurgitate onto a test somehow. She hands out this test. I had studied. I, I, I was pretty good at, in, in school and uh, when I got to college, I really wasn't very good in, in high school uh, or elementary school um, or kindergarten. But uh, when I got to college, I was pretty good. And this was seminary, so it's a little higher level. And, and I studied, and, and she hands out the test. So me and my, my, my peeps, are all we're all sitting around, we're looking at our test. And, and she gives us instruction, read all the way through the test before you start to answer any questions. I hate that instruction. I mean, I got a little minute amount of time. It was two or three pages long. It's going to take me forever to do this, so let's just get started. But she asked us to do it, so I, we read through the questions. Now, as we were reading through the questions, the first two were like, I have no idea what she's talking about. I mean, I literally don't know where this information came from. Uh, I got nothing. As I read through, you could literally hear in the room people going, oh. Oh, 
that's a universal sign for we are toast. I mean, that, it's like we're all going to just, we're, we're failing. We're gonna, I'll see you next semester. Uh, that's kind of what it was. And we're reading through this test, and it was obvious that we had all just, we're in trouble. And then the last statement she had, if you want an A on this test, simply write your name. Or you can take the test and get the grade you deserve. Well, I couldn't sign my name fast enough. You know, I'm, I'm writing it as fast as I can. I take it up to her desk. I lay it on there and I say, aced it. Uh, you know, because uh, I'm a little bit of a punk that way. Here's what I found amazing. Out in the hallway, I'm, I'm hanging out with some of the guys. There were, there were guys really mad about this. Why do I even study? What a waste of time. I heard one guy say, I'm going to go talk to the dean about this. Because they wanted to earn it. Grace is a gift. Rules are our approach to God to earn his approval. And some of us like to earn it. I was happy as a clam uh, with my A. I'm happy with grace. Grace is cool to me. I, I didn't earn an A. I was given an A, and I'm okay with that. It's all good for me. Grace is an interesting thing. R rules are interesting as well. And in matters of relationship, especially with God, we lean toward grace. God wants us to lean into grace. We cannot earn a relationship. We just can't. We've all sinned, and sin separates us from God. And you learn this when you're in kindergarten, and, and it, it's the truth. And we can't be good enough to earn God's favor. I mean, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I'll give you rest. It's all about the grace. It's all about grace. And maybe you grew up in a home where there were lots of rules, and maybe you grew up in a church with lots of rules, and you feel guilty every time you do something wrong because you're not in relationship. Let me give you an illustration. When you get married, there are some rules. Some written, some unwritten. So you take vows, something like this. I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife, is what I said. There's a rule there. It says that you are legally bound to this person. This is your wife and you have a responsibility to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, richer, for poorer, sickness and in health. Even if things don't go well, the rule is you can't bail. This is the understanding. This is the expectation. We have these, these we say them out loud. This is truth to this vow. Uh, to love and to cherish till death do us part. The, the understanding when you stand before God is that I'm going to do this no matter what. Those are the written rules. Now, there are unwritten rules. Every person who's married gets this, if you've been married any time at all. Let me give you a couple. In my home, sometimes your wife, sometimes your wife cries, and it's not your fault. You should leave her alone. That, that's a rule. That's a rule. I didn't understand that when I first got married. She's crying. I'm like, what did I do? Uh, and uh, no, it's all good. Sometimes your wife cries. It's not your fault. 
Another rule. On occasion, you're expected to watch a movie that doesn't include shooting, killing, blowing things up, spies, or bank robberies. I didn't know that. It's a stupid rule, but it's a rule. Evidently, there's other stuff out there that ladies like to watch. Who knew? I didn't know that. Um, when your wife says, this is a rule at my house, I don't really want anything for my birthday, anniversary, Christmas, fill in the blank. What that means is you should still get something. That, that's not, it's not written anywhere. That's a rule. Um, there's a rule at my house that says I will never, she will never mow the yard. That's a rule. We've been married 27 years. Would anybody like to guess how many times Miriam has mowed the yard? It would be zero. Uh, never mowed the yard. Never mowed the yard. Now, that's okay. I like to mow the yard. It's all good. There are written rules. There are unwritten rules. Here's the deal. I, I don't follow the unwritten rules because they're cumbersome or burdensome to me. I do those because I love the one that those rules affect. And so I, I make these, you know, extravagant acts of service. I mow the yard. I, you know what I do? After Miriam washes and folds the clothes, extravagant act of service, I put my own clothes away. I do that. That's the kind of husband I am. I mean, that, I don't want to toot my own horn, but that's big. I, that's a big deal. Um. She's a great cook. Everything she cooks and puts on the plate, I eat. That, that's how I roll. Because that's an extravagant act of service on my part to my wife. Now, I do that because I love her. St. Augustine, let me go back to him just one more time. He has this quote, love God and do as you please. Which you think, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, whoa. Yeah, but, but here's, what, here's the truth he understands. When you love God, you'll want to please Him. When you love God, you'll want to please Him. When you love your wife, when you love your spouse, you want to please them. You do what, what it takes to please them because that's what love does. So now the rules aren't burdensome and cumbersome and, you know, they don't bring you down. It, it's guidance. What, what things do I need to do to make the one I love happy? I, I want to do that. Which leads me to the third thing. People are more important than rules. Let's go back to our story just for a second. She said, no one is here you know, to, to condemn me, and then neither do I condemn you, he says. But he does say, go now and leave your life of sin. Here's again, I don't want us to, to miss this, because this is really, really important. We, we live in a culture where we're told that if we ever don't approve or ever speak disapproval, that somehow we don't love the person that we speak disapproval to. In fact, in our world today, what Jesus, when he called what she was doing sin, it could be considered bullying or shaming truth is, there's nothing more loving than to tell somebody the truth in love. Jesus said, I come full of grace and truth. Truth is important in this economy, in this equation. Grace, absolutely grace. Absolutely truth. 
grace and truth. See, in the context of relationship, Jesus cared more about the woman than the rule. But don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean he didn't believe in or care about the rule. I told you a minute ago, we have given our kids rules because, not because we don't love them, but because we do love them. There's a, a standard that is set in our home. God gives us a standard that he sets, a moral code that he gives us to live by. And what this woman was doing, according to this moral code, is sin. It's sin. There's a prescription for sex in Scripture. Husband and wife in the confines of marriage. That's the way God prescribed it, designed it. That's the way He wants it to be done. Anything outside of that parameter is sin. This is what Jesus was pointing out to her. I, I love you, but please go leave your life of sin. He doesn't just slough the rule off. He wants to establish a relationship so the rule then makes sense. See, we must define Christianity first and foremost as a relationship. It is a relationship. And then we can hearken back to Augustine who said, love God and do what you want because when you love God, you'll know that you'll do what he wants you to do. Just makes sense. Jesus' acceptance isn't, a, isn't, um, isn't because you've obeyed rules. He accepted her before she had obeyed the rule. In fact, she had just broken the rule. And yet, his acceptance of her, his mercy toward her, his grace in this situation, it's obvious. But he guides her right back to the rule. Go and sin no more. Rules don't get us in a relationship with Jesus. And you might be here today and, and you've always thought, if I just kept enough rules, God would love me and God would accept me and God would be happy with me. And it's backwards. It's completely backwards. God loves you and accepts you, wants you, where you are. And once we fall in love with Jesus, we're going to want to please him and do the things he calls us to do. We, we develop a relationship. Fans just look at the rules. Followers look at the relationship. In just a second, we're going to be finished with our service. In a minute, we're going to take up an offering. But, before, but after that happens... After the service, I'm going to hang out right over here, always in this corner. Hey, if you guys could leave the lights on up here, that'd be good for me because it gets dark over there. And uh, so we're just going to leave the lights on. I'm going to be over there. If you need to talk about this or you want to somebody pray with you, I'm going to be right over in the corner, okay? But today might be the first time you've ever said, you know what, I thought it was about rules. I thought it was about keeping some rules. It's not about keeping some rules, it's about admitting that we're sinners and that we need somebody to forgive us and to be our advocate. We just saw a story about a woman who was a sinner 
who needed somebody to forgive her and to be her advocate. And this is what Jesus does for us. If you've never, ever experienced that, I'd love to tell you about it. Because it's the most freeing thing in the world. It just is incredibly freeing. Why don't we pray? I'm going to ask God to fill our hearts with the things he wants to say to us. And then I'll explain the offering. Lord, thank you for how much you love us, how you love us. And we pray blessings on this time. I pray, God, that you would bring to mind the things today that were said that, that need to penetrate our hearts that need to sink deeper and to be more clear to us. We love you, Lord, and we pray that we would follow you and that we would follow you well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.